Good morning, everyone. Yeah, Derek, Derek is not here, and Derek will not be here today. Said you guys were giving him a hard time, so he decided he needed a sabbatical. No, I'm teasing, he's not. He is out of town this weekend. So what happens, there's a rule of thumb, whenever, you invite a, whenever you're going to be out of town as a preacher, you always invite a guest speaker that's not as good as you, so your class or your congregation will appreciate you when you get back. So Derek has asked me to fill in for him this morning. Uh, so that when he comes back next week, you will have appreciated him more. Uh, but glad you're here this morning. We're going to be continuing this morning uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, in fact, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, probably one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. Because if you're familiar with the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 deals with the subject of love. Uh, but just to kind of, let's kind of recap a little bit so you'll understand Every now and then when you do like a verse-by-verse study and you do it over weeks and months of time, you forget what we call kind of the, the CIT, uh, the central, it's kind of the central idea of the, of the text. And so what we know from 1 Corinthians or what Paul tells us, the book, actually from 1 Corinthians, the purpose of the book is basically to identify, to address, and solve the errors and problems in the church. That was Paul's entire purpose of writing the book of 1 Corinthians. The church of Corinth had lots of problems. And you know, whenever you have people, you will have problems. And so there were lots of problems in the church of Corinth. And so Paul writes them this letter to try to help them with their problems. So let's just kind of recap real quick some of the problems that were going on at the church of Corinth. Remember, there was uh, a lot of fighting and division uh, amongst a few people. And Paul addresses those people by name. Listen, if you ever have to be addressed in a church by name because you're a problem, a problematic person, that is not good. But Paul talks about some of the problems that goes on in this church. He also talks about uh, the sexual immorality that was going on. Remember, they had prostitution. I know hard to believe that you could have prostitution in a church. But there was prostitution in the church. Uh, there was adultery going on. There was incest going on. I mean, there was a lot of sexual immorality going on in the church of Corinth. He also talks about the issue with marriage and divorce. Uh, there were questions about who I could marry and, and who I could divorce, why I should marry, why I should divorce. And so Paul addresses these, areas, these issues of marriage and divorce. Then he also talks about the role and the function of men and women in the church. Uh, next he talked about just some doctrinal issues. It was basically around foods offered to idols, whether we could eat those foods or not, whether we should eat those foods or not. So we can see not only some morality issues going on at the Church of Corinth, some, but we also see some doctrinal issues and some theological issues. And last we see, probably the last few weeks, that he deals with spiritual gifts. And the whole reasoning that he was talking about spiritual gifts was not only to identify spiritual gifts, but he wanted the people to know that just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't mean you're better than somebody else. Uh, and, and every now and then that does happen in our life just because we think we have something or we've done something, we're better than somebody else. And so Paul, basically in the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with a lot of problematic issues in the church. So think about this. So up to this point, Paul is dealing with issues and problems in the church. Now all of a sudden in chapter 13... 
he still is dealing with the issues, but he's actually addressing where the issues come from. And so really, we can say that God can be described in one word. What is that one word? Love. That's right. God can be described in one word because the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So just to kind of get your mind going, Paul's dealing with problems with sexual immorality. He's dealing with problems with fighting, bickering, and division. He's dealing with problems with marriage and divorce. He's dealing with problems with spiritual pride and spiritual gifts. And he's got all these problems lumped together. This church had some problems. But the biggest problem this church had was what it did not have. And that's hard to believe because he's dealing with the problems of the church. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says, if I could speak all languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything... I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Do you see? The whole problem with the church of Corinth was that they were lacking one thing, and that one thing was love. Now, it's, it's interesting because when, usually when we think about the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we, we get the, the love and we, we do it at weddings and we do it to our, our special person in our life. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand the context. The whole context behind 1 Corinthians 13 is not with a husband and a wife. It's not with a boyfriend and a girlfriend. It's actually with church, with a church loving its members and a church loving the lost world. And one of the things, the thing that the church of Corinth did not have was God's love. Now, we know the church of Corinth had love, and there's three types of love. So let's look at the three loves real quick. First of all, there's what we call the agape love, and this was the one love that the church of Corinth didn't really have. That agape love is that unconditional, selfish, giving love. Agape love is the love that is described here when Paul says, if I could speak like angels but don't have love, that's that agape love. If I had the gift and I had knowledge and wisdom but didn't love others, that agape love. The love that Paul is talking about here, the church did not have. The church of Corinth didn't have agape love. The second love is what we call the phileo love. It's what we call a brotherly, companionable love. It's like when, a, when, when you have a best friend, that's a brotherly love. Um, the church of Corinth, we know, had that. Because there, was not, because there was a division in the church, therefore we took sides. After all, if, you, if you've ever had a fight at home, when you have fights with people, you usually try to find somebody that agrees with you. Any of y'all ever do that? Like you, when, you have a, when you have an issue with somebody, you try to find somebody else that thinks like you think, so that when you argue your point, it will be justifiable. So we know that they had a brotherly love because they had division. Therefore, people chose sides. And the reason why I chose this side was because I agree with my brother or my sister over here. The reason why we chose this side is because I agree with my brother or my sister over here. We know that the church of Corinth had brotherly love. 
We also know that the church of Corinth had the eros love. It's that passionate love. It's the, uh, it's the love that a, a husband has for his wife. And we know they had that eros love because there was adultery, there was prostitution, there was incest. I mean, we know they had that love. So when Paul talks about love, and that's one of the downsides we have in the English language, because he says agape or agapeo. We don't love, we just say love, like you love ice cream, you love your dog, you love your spouse, you know, you love Florida State. I mean, and they're all different loves. But when Paul says that if I could speak like angels, but I do not love that agape love, he's saying, I do, if you don't have that agape, that unconditional, that selfless, self-giving love, it means nothing. And that's how he starts 1 Corinthians 13, the very first thing he says that if I have spiritual gifts, but if my spiritual gifts do not have the love of God in, in contained in them, that when I operate in my spiritual gifting and the love of God does not come out through with it, it's hollow or offensive. Now, some of you may not be here. Have you ever been around somebody that is deaf tone and they sing? Anybody ever been around somebody that's deaf tone and they sing? For those of us who can tell the difference between notes, that is like one of the most horrific. And what's neat about a person with a death tone is they sing loud. You know, they don't sing softly, they sing loud. Um, and it's like, well, it sounded great in the shower. I don't understand why it doesn't sound good here in the church. And, and we're, supposed to make, yeah, we're supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm, I'm trying to give you the picture that Paul's painting. Paul's saying it's like, it's, it's like if you... Here's a better way of explaining it. For those of you who love rap music, the rest of those people think that's one of the most ungodly, unawful, unawful sounds there's ever been around. If you love bluegrass, for those who don't love bluegrass, think that's one of the most horrific sounds they've ever heard. It, it's funny. when you, you Okay, who has music in here you don't like? And the moment somebody puts it on, you go, you just cover up your ears, right? You know, put some mute button, push the change button. Listen, I've got three teenagers, and, and I've, my, my music repertoire has really expanded. It, it's amazing. Priscilla, has your music repertoire expanded over the last few years with your sons? They keep their headphones on? That's what I got to do, headphones. So, so here's what Paul is saying. So here we go. We have a church at Corinth, and they are functioning in their gifts. But Paul says, when you function in your spiritual gift, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's prophecy, whether it's tongues, doesn't matter what it is, you sound very hollow and offensive because it is not given out of love. When a church functions without the love of God, it is very hollow. It is very offensive. Paul also goes on to say that if he had all the faith and the knowledge of the Bible, it would mean nothing. Mean nothing. Think about that. Have you ever been around somebody that seems to be brilliant and you know they know a lot, but because they do not love, whatever they tell you just seems to roll right off your back because it's offensive, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything to you? One of the sayings we have around our office here is that I don't mind you fussing at me as long as I know you love me. I had a man in, in a former church that I was a part, very knowledgeable man. I mean, this guy probably knew the Bible better than I did. Just very uh, gifted and sound in scripture memorization. But the problem that he had 
was although he knew the Bible very well, and he knew it without even having to think about it, he had no love. And so when he wanted to share your wrongs where you missed God's word, it was very offensive because you knew that he wasn't sharing it out of love. He was more or less sharing it out of pride. He was more or less sharing it out of, I know more than you know. And the sad part about it was, was although he knew so much scripture, he left his wife, committed adultery, and shacked up with another woman. Knew it all. He knew it here, but he didn't have it here. So you can know the word of God in your mind and in your heart, but if God hasn't changed your life and you can't show that love, you're in trouble. And that's what was wrong with this church. They were a highly functioning church in the gifts of the Spirit, in, in doctrine, and in theology, but the problem is that they didn't have God's love. And because they didn't have God's love, they were really messed up. He also says, listen, I could sacrifice my body and my life, but it would be useless to you if I don't love you. We see that a lot with men. Men will say, listen, I go to work, I provide money for you, I provide you this, I provide you that, but they never have a meaningful relationship with their spouse. They never have a meaningful relationship with their kids. Love is not spelled M-O-N-E-Y. Love is spelled T-I-M-E, spelled with time. Paul said, I could sacrifice my whole life, but if my sacrifice is not out of the God's love, and God's love is not expressed through my life, it means nothing. So here we have a church that really should be like one of the most dynamic churches to be around and be involved in, but with, because they did not have the agape love in and flowing through their life, their church was pretty empty, their church was pretty meaningless, and their church was pretty messed up. Aren't you thankful that when you come on the property of this place, the very first thing you sense is what? The love of God. And then, when you walk in the building, but most of the time it's probably out in the parking lot, you are embraced by people who love God. And that love of God is expressed in their, their smile, it's expressed in their hello, it's expressed in their embrace of you, and you just feel, wow. Did anybody come to River of Life and the first time you came, you felt unwelcomed? You felt like we were a cold and heartless church? Anybody? Or the first time you came, it was just the opposite. You went, I can't believe how much people love me. I can't believe how welcome I feel. That's because it's that agape love. And we have so many churches in America today that are correct doctrinally. They have good theology. They probably have good praise and worship. But because they do not have that agape love in their life and coming through their life and out of their life, their church is heartless, it's cold, and it's meaningless. And so Paul now is addressing the very heartbeat and the very heart of the problem of the church of Corinth. They are missing the love of God. And church, if we do not have the love of God in our life, every act we do, everything we say, every word we sing will mean nothing because it will have come from an empty love, not a meaningful, filling love. Well, one of the wonderful things about Paul is that Paul doesn't leave you hanging. In fact, what Paul does, Paul goes ahead and defines love. 
so that we know what love is. So in case you're wondering, what is this agape love that Paul is talking about? How do we know if I've got that love? Well, Paul will explain that to us. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not insistent on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Basically what Paul does, he kind of gives us of what love is and what love is not in these five verses. He kind of just, four verses, he kind of just wraps it up into what love is and what love is not. So let's look real quick of, of what love is. First of all, love is patient. One of the first things that a church must do is be patient. That's all there is. So, so let's have a little bit of fun for a minute. Mr. Denzel, how long have you known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Over 50 years. Over 50 years. Anybody known the Lord less than five years? Everybody's five years plus in here? No? Okay. So, so here's a man that's walked with the Lord for over 50 years. Here's a man that hasn't. So your maturity is going to be so much more different than his that we have to learn to be patient and encourage and help. A lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times we expect somebody that comes to know Jesus on Sunday to behave and act like me on Monday. I've been walking with the Lord 40 years. And we can't do that. We have to learn to be patient and encourage and help. Now, please understand me. There are times if that person does not want to mature in the faith, then you do have to kind of either fuss at them and push them, or you have to leave them alone. But to be honest with you, we cannot expect a three-year-old to behave like a 30-year-old. And in all reality, a 30-year-old to never behave like a three-year-old. But we do have 30-year-olds every now behaving like a three-year-old. Okay? And so the first thing the church has to do, and I love it, the very first thing that Paul mentions that love is, it's patient. Why do you think that was the very first thing Paul mentioned? About the most important thing. Right, if, if you don't have patience, it's hard to do anything else. If you've had kids, you understand that, right? <clears throat> okay. Who do you think has to be the most patient with you? God. So here, once again, this is that agape love. It's the godly love. So he says the very first thing that you should be is you should be just like our Heavenly Father. You've got to learn to be patient. Now God is very, He's slow to anger and He's slow to wrath. He's patient. I'm not saying that God's going to let you run over Him and trample Him, but He is very patient. He's also kind. We have to be kind. That's hard sometimes to do as well. But we have to learn to be kind. Um, here's a big one. Man, this will hurt you every now and then. It also keeps no records. You ever been around somebody and they'll remind you what you did five years ago? They'll remind you of what you did wrong five years ago. They're keeping a record of that. They want to bring it back up to you whenever you're trying to move forward. They want to bring up your past and, and what you did wrong. You see it a lot in, in marriages. You see it a lot where a spouse makes a mistake and the other spouse will never let them forget that. 
regardless of how much they've repented, they've asked for forgiveness, they've sought for reconciliation and restitution, that, that spouse will not let them forget that. One of the things we have to do is we have to learn to keep no records. Because if we kept records, none of us would ever be welcome in the house of God. Do you realize that? Because we all have a past. Every one of us have a past. Believe it or not, you too, even though you're young, you've got some shady dealings in your past. There's been some lying. There's been some things going on. Don't worry. So have the rest of us. So you're no different. And that's why we're not supposed to keep no record. The reason is because if you keep records of what somebody's done in your life, it will always taint your thoughts. It will always taint your relationship with them because immediately you'll think about that incident in your life and you can't move forward. You'll put the wall up. You'll put the barrier up rather than allowing it to be dropped. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, well, I remember that time you denied me. I remember that time you took my name in vain. I remember that time you were ashamed of me. Well, I, I can't. Aren't you glad that God doesn't keep any records? We are not supposed to keep records. Also, we're supposed to delight in the truth. In other words, we should be delighting in the word of God, the love of God, the admiration of God. We shouldn't be delighting in anything else in the world but the truth because the truth sets us free. We also know that love protects. We have to protect our own. That protection means when you see a brother and sister getting ready to go down the wrong road of life, you need to pull them away. You need to let them know they're doing wrong. When you see them that they're being mishandled and mistreated, you need to protect them. You need to help them. Love protects. God is protecting us. And once again, this is the agape love, so we're supposed to protect one another. We're also supposed to trust. That's a hard one to do, isn't it? Once again, he says, if we're ever going to be that church, we have to trust. One of the most incredible things about your church staff is that we have a long tenure together. Um, Diane has worked with Henry for 29 years. Lori's worked with Diane and Henry for 15 years. I've worked with Lori, Diane, and Henry for over 12 years. Priscilla's been 40 years, but she hasn't worked with us for about two years. But Priscilla's grown up in the church. So our relationship is so tight. It's so cohesive. We trust each other. We believe in each other. We, we don't have to second-guess one another. We never have to worry about what the other one is doing because we trust one another. We trust our leaders, our church board. We have 11 board members, and we have some former board members, godly men that we never give a second thought about them because we know they love the Lord and we can trust them. You need to be involved in a church that can trust one another and trust the Lord. Obviously, the church of Corinth didn't trust one another. That's why there was division. That's why there was pride. That's why there were problems, because they didn't trust each other. He also goes on to say we need to have hope. And that hope is not like the hope you think, like, I hope I, I get to work on time. Uh, man, I hope my football team wins. That's not that kind of hope. This hope is an actual faith. It's an actual assurance. When the Bible says that we hope in something, it's a firm belief that we know it will come about. Last, for what love is, it also perseveres. God's love stands forever. His truth 
stands forever. His love will persevere through any test, any trial, any time. And if you and I have the love of God in our hearts and lives, His love should enable us, His love should empower us to persevere through any and every trial and situation in life. But not only should it do that in our personal life, it should do it in the church's life. So what is love, what's love not? So let's look real quick. Love's not jealous. Because in all reality, if you love somebody, you don't have to worry about them leaving you or cheating on you or whatever. You know they're going to be faithful to you. Uh, love is not boastful. Love is not what we call very arrogant. We know that love is not proud. Uh, really, you could probably just do the flip side. If you have the, the love of God, you're going to be a very humble person. We're not going to say that God can't use you in a great and awesome way, but you're going to be very humble because of what God's doing in your life. Uh, it doesn't dishonor others. It's just the opposite. God's love should be building each other up. We shouldn't be dishonoring one another, treating each other badly. Uh, love is not self-seeking. If you could really say the number one problem with America today, it's all about me. I got my iPhone, my iMac, my iPad, about I, I, I. And of course, you know what the very center letter of the word sin is, isn't it? I. Because sin is always focused about me. And so God's love is just the opposite. God's love is not focused on you. God's love is focused on others. God's love is not focused on me, my wishes, my desires. God's love in my life is focused on my family, my church family, my friends, and how I can love them, how I can encourage them, how I can help them. That's when you know you have God's love. It's also not easily angered. I'm not saying you won't get angry, but really when you love somebody, you probably won't get as angry as them as you could because you'll understand their heart more than their words. And of course, love does not delight in evil. So if you want to know what love is and what love is not, this is what it is. And it's funny that Paul mentions all these things right here in, in chapter 13 in, the, in this book because we can see the various um, characteristics and the various things that this church was doing that they could identify with. Um, we, we know they could identify with evil because of what was going on. We know we could identify with them being angry because of the divisions they had. We know we could be self-seeking because of their pride and their arrogance and their spiritual giftings. Uh, we know about dishonoring because there was such a, uh, just the upheaval, just the division that was going on. They were proud about their spiritual gifts. They were boasting about it. And people were jealous because they didn't have the gifts. So all of these you see about love is what was happening in the church of Corinth. And if we're not careful, these same things will happen in our life. And so, although 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is such a, a neat book about love, it's about the church's love for one another. And so, when you get time later on today, you may want to go back and read verses 4 through 7 and just kind of re reprocess that because Paul is encouraging this church. He's telling this church, if you're going to be a church and you're going to be a church that's going to really shed my light, these are the characteristics you need to have, and these are the characteristics you don't need to have. So follow the train of thought. Chapters 1 through 12, we're dealing with all the problems. Chapter 13, now, really not the problems, it's the symptom of the problem. Chapter 13, Paul says, here's your problem. It's love. 
You do not have love. And here are the characteristics of love, and here are the characteristics of not love. Then he goes on to say that love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. This church majored on the minors. They majored on prophecies, they majored on tongues, they majored on how well they knew the Bible, or how well they knew God's will and God's word. But the truth of the matter is, they didn't have the love. And what he says is, it, it all passes away. I mean, you think about that. So let's just take a moment. Some of the great prophets of the Bible, Isaiah, is he still around? He's gone. Jeremiah, he's gone. You look at all the great prophets, they're gone. Look at some of the great preachers of our day like Adrian Rogers. He's gone. Jerry Falwell, he's gone. Why? Because people and prophecies, they are here and they will go. Prophecy is told as a foretelling for a futuristic event that will happen and it's done. Or prophecies are told to encourage and, and point out it's there, then it's done. He also talks about tongues. Tongues will be here one day, and it's going to be gone. If everybody, anybody's ever spoken to you in a tongue, it's hard to remember what was said. And sometimes we really don't even remember the interpretation that was given. Because it's here, and then it's gone. Knowledge is the same way. It'll be here one day and gone the next. Especially in the world we live in with dementia and things of that nature, our knowledge just kind of slips away. Paul says, everything you're majoring on, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, that's all going to pass away. But the one thing that will never pass away is what? Love. Who's love? God. When did God begin? Never. When will God end? Never. So the one thing that will never end is God. And the one thing that will never end is God's love. God's love in our lives should never, ever end. And He will never end. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, that the, the grass withers and the flowers fades, but the Word of God stands forever. God will be here forever. It's His love that will be here forever. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to get big into this this morning because we could spend weeks... There's a lot of debate today whether when Paul mentions about prophecies, when Paul mentions about tongues, is he saying that, okay, the gifts of tongues, is that here, was it just for that day and time, is it gone? Or is it still prevalent today? The gift of prophecy, was it only for Paul's day and time, and now it's gone? And there are many people who believe that it's gone. There are many people who believe who it's still around. So how do we then determine what's right and what's wrong? It's real simple. Just by this, a man with an argument is always at the mercy with a man with an experience. I could tell you how simple childbearing is. Simple, piece of cake. Would you ladies argue against me? Well, wait a minute. Why would you argue with me? I, I, I have knowledge, but, I, but, what, but what don't I have? I don't have the experience. So I could argue till I'm blue in the face. I could write books, go on a speaking circuit, and tell you how easy childbearing is. But because I've never had the experience, I really can't tell you. 
I'm always amazed that the people who argue against the gifts of tongues and against the gifts of the Spirit, they've never embraced it. They've never experienced it. So they'll tell you it doesn't exist. It's not for our day. Then how do you explain the rest of us who have it? The man with an argument is always at the mercy with a man with an experience. And we'll just leave it at that this morning. We're not going to get big into that. You could argue till we're blue in the face. But here's what I do know, church. Prophecies will pass. Tongues will go away. But God's love will never. Paul says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Dallas, do you know there are all there is to know about God? Not yet. Will you ever in this lifetime? Or the next? Because it's what? Partial. See, we're partial. We don't quite get it. And we will never get it. Because we're a finite human being. Paul says, listen, I'm, and you have to understand from Paul's perspective, if you don't know much about Paul's history, Paul was raised in one of the most finest theological institutions there was. Paul would be considered in our day like the Pope. I mean, Paul knew Scripture. Paul knew the, the commandments. Paul knew everything there was really to know about doctrine and about theology and about Scripture in his day. And yet Paul says, this is what I do know. I only know in part. Paul says, I don't know all there is to know about the Lord. And neither will you and I. And we have to understand that it'll always be that way. And then when we do die and we do go to heaven, when our partiality passes away and the perfect, and who is perfect? The Lord. When He finally comes to take you home, you're still going to be learning. But man, the, the, the rapid rate will be so much better for us. Man, it just, because have you ever wondered what you're going to be doing for the rest of eternity? Some of you probably think, well, you know, after about five years in heaven, I'm going to get bored. You still learning things about your wife? Yeah. How long have I been married? Over 55 years. Still learning things about his wife over 55 years. Notice I didn't ask that of her about him. She's got it down. <laughs> us, us men are pretty predictable, you know. We're pretty non-teasing. You understand, we have a love relationship with our Father. Jesus is our bride. He's our, he's our groom. We're the bride. So we're going to spend the rest of eternity getting to know our spouse. Paul says, I only know in part. For those people who get around you and say they know it all, they do not know it all. They just think they know it all, and they really bother the rest of us who do. No, I'm teasing. They at the church of Corinth were in a position or a place where they thought they had arrived. We've got it all. We know it all. We're doing it all. And what Paul was so graciously trying to teach them was, hey, church, number one, you missed out on the main thing, God's love. You missed that. And that's the whole heartbeat of a church. For without the love of God, you do not have anything. And you never will arrive there. So don't think you have. Keep growing and continuing in that process so that you can mature and grow in the faith. And that's how he actually ends the chapter. Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I thought into it like a child, I reasoned like a child. 
When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know him in part, then shall know him fully, as I have been fully known. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child, I spoke like a child. Now what is he really saying here? He's telling this church, you're children and you're behaving just like a child. It's hard to believe that you could walk into a house of God and there's a great division going on. There's argument over who should be in control. There's argument over who's better. Paul said, it's just like going out to the playground at the elementary school. You're like a bunch of kids. You are whining and fighting over the silliest things. Hard to believe, but you can walk into church in a lot of churches in America today, and that's exactly what's happening there. They are arguing and fighting over the silliest things. And I am so thankful that does, that, that does not happen here at River of Life. There are no fights at River of Life. There is no division. There are no problems. Well, there's problems, but, you know, not as a whole. We, there's problems because you're here. There's problems because I'm here. When human beings are involved, there's a problem. But what you understand is what goes back to what I said earlier, that when you stepped out, on the, out of your car on this property this morning, you immediately sensed the love of God. That's because we have matured and we understand that God's love is supreme. And it's God's love that will change our lives. It's God's love that's going to change our world's life. It's God's love that's going to make a difference. We don't need to behave like children. We need to grow and mature so that people can see that we grow and mature in the faith. And then he just reminds them once again. He says, now I see in a mirror dimly. Once again, that's kind of like that partiality. He's just reminding us. Paul says, I really, I really can't see the whole concept and glory of God. It's kind of dim. And do you know why it's dim? Anybody know why it's dim? Because if you saw it in its fullness, you'd die. Think about this just for a moment. Anytime a human being had an encounter with either the Lord or an angelic being, what was the first thing they did? They dropped to the ground. They dropped to the ground probably out of fear. They dropped to the ground because they encompassed the glory of God and they encompassed His love. Anytime you go back, anytime a person encountered a, a heavenly being or Christ or, or God in the Bible, they dropped. Paul says the reason why it's dim because God loves me and He's sparing me so that he, you know, I won't die. He said, but one day I'll fully know. And one day I'm striving to know that. And Paul says, just like you're going to know me one day, and we know a lot about the Apostle Paul from the books that he's written in the New Testament, Paul says, that's how I'm going to know the Lord. I'm going to know Him. So the whole point of this chapter in 1 Corinthians was Paul addressing the problem of the church, was their absence from the love of God. And Paul was encouraging them to grow in their faith, to grow in His love, and not major on the minors, but major on the major, which is His love. And to become fully functioning, mature Christians, loving others and loving Christ. And we love Him by what Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 4-7. through So 1 Corinthians 13 is Paul's
diagnosis of the problem at the church of Corinth, their lack of love. He wants them to grow in their faith. He wants them to mature in their love so they truly can experience him in his fullness. And that's really what we should be doing today. We should put away childish things and we should grow in God's love. We should grow in God's word. We should grow in God's grace so that we can know him as best as we can. Amen? Let me stop there and see if you got a question or a comment. We good? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have blessed us with such wonderful people at River of Life. Lord, I thank you that our heartbeat is for you and your glory and your love. Lord, I know I've got problems. We, we all have problems. But Lord, I, I hope and pray that you will never have to address us for our lack of your love in this building, for your lack of love in our lives. Father, we want to make you our all in all. Lord, we want to surrender everything to you so that truly we can grow and mature in our faith, but Lord, we can know you better tomorrow than we did today. Father, thank you for showing us through the Apostle Paul what love is and what love is not. And Lord, that is our desire today to truly have that agape love so not only can we experience you in the fullness that you desire us to experience you, but the world will see who you really are. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.